I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm going to guess you have, that the world has become more agitated. Have you noticed this? How's the last year been? Last year and a half been? Tensions are high. Anxiety is high. Relationships are strained. And there's just an awful lot going on in the world that is difficult at lots of different levels and things are difficult. And today we're going to talk about that and talk about kind of the, the Christian magical solution to such things. John? They were agitated. Yeah, this is probably not the only time in human history that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been lots of different moments. Right? We don't have we don't life is not a steady constant. It's not constantly getting worse. It's not just getting better. It's this right. Things get better and they get worse at the same time. So today I want to talk a little about that. I want to give you a forecast though of where we're going to go for two weeks. We're going to talk about. Uh, our topic of this morning, which is forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness for two weeks. And then, on the first Sunday in June, we're going to begin a new series that's going to take us basically through the summer. Uh, sometime this fall, um, uh, Bishop Steve Breedlove is going to be in town. And when he comes, we're going to have the opportunity to, uh, uh, for you to be confirmed. If you don't know what confirmation means, I'll, I'll, essentially all that is is there's this uh, there's a moment, or there may be, there could be, if you like it, a moment where you make a public declaration that, you know what, I am a Christian. And you maybe you, you did that years ago. Maybe you did that when you were baptized, if you were baptized as a believer. Maybe you've been confirmed in the past. Or maybe there's never been a moment where you're like, gosh, did I ever like actually graduate from high school? Did I ever walk the stage? Was there ever a moment where I'm like, boom, lock it up. And so we do it. We have a ceremony that we do um, from time to time. I think we're supposed to do it more frequently than we do. But we do it on occasion where we will give you the opportunity to be confirmed. And if you want that, if you want to say, yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm locked in, I hereby identify with Jesus officially, and to a lesser extent, but still genuinely with this particular church, there'll be an occasion for that in the fall. And leading up to that, I'm going to do probably 11, 10, 11, 12 weeks of a series of the things that you need to know to be a Christian. The thing, the kind of like a, this kind of Christianity 101. And so we'll, we'll begin that the first week in June. So we'd love you to come and I'd love you to invite friends to come that might find this to be like a helpful time to kind of get this, get the 30,000 foot view of Christianity. What, what is the gospel? What do we mean? What are the key things that we want to really embrace and understand before we might make some kind of official declaration? I'm all in, right, wherever you're at. So, and it doesn't mean this is for brand new believers. People might get confirmed after you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. Okay. No, no worries. We'd love, we'd love to be, create that opportunity for you, okay? But that starts in a couple weeks. What we're going to do this week and next week is we're going to talk about forgiveness. And as a guide to that, I want you guys to, I, I'd like to invite you to read over this next week an article called The Fading of Forgiveness. Good, I love this. You're reaching for your phones. Here's what I want you to do. In fact, do it right now. I'd like you to Google The Fading of Forgiveness forgiveness. That should be sufficient, the fading of forgiveness. And if the article that you find is written by Tim Keller, then you've done it correctly, okay? The fading of forgiveness. It's about probably a 10-page article if we printed it out. Um, and it is, if you guys are familiar with Tim Keller, Tim Keller has pastored a church in Manhattan called Redeemer Presbyterian for a number of years. Although he is from Virginia, he started in Hopewell, Virginia, um, and moved from little tiny, little tiny no place of Hopewell all the way to Manhattan. And he's a very, very thoughtful man. Um, he's, been a, he's been a very influential in my life for a number of years. And he wrote something just a couple weeks ago on forgiveness that I just thought was so insightful and so well-suited to the time that I really thought it was worth our kind of discussion of it. So you want to grab that. Um, 
and you know, if you want to grab it on your phone, that's great. Or when you get to a real computer, you can print it out. The Fading of Forgiveness by Tim Keller. How's you, have you been able to find it? Anybody thwarted in your Google search? You got it now. If you want to, you can pull it up and have it in front of you. I have it printed up here, and I'm going to read to you some excerpts from it, and we're going to, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to try to have an interaction about it, and I'll try to give you, represent his paradigm. We're only going to cover about the first half, 40% maybe, this week, um, and then I'd love to really invite you to read this over the course of the week, and then in, uh, next Sunday we'll kind of finish it up and give you guys some chance to think about forgiveness, because forgiveness is an absolute necessity, especially at a time when tensions are high, when anxiety reigns supreme, when we feel misunderstood, when we don't like each other very much. And forgiveness, as Keller argues, for some very specific reasons, has fallen on hard times. That in fact, forgiveness that has long been understood one of the primary virtues and necessities of human interaction is actually begun to be viewed as a vice, not just, not just something, usually we would all say, man, forgiveness is hard. I know that forgiveness is good, but it's so difficult. That's, that's old news. But culturally, we're moving away from this is a good difficulty to it's a bad thing. Forgiveness is evil. And that's, holy moly, if we, go down, if we keep going down a road in which forgiveness is thought to be a vice, we are, we're sunk. That's bad news. So I really think it's worth kind of like reflecting on this and seeing where he goes. You with me? Okay, now, if you want to try to follow along, good, but I'm going to just kind of be skipping through and excerpting. Um, here, here's where he's basically, what he's going to do. Keller makes, makes the point that there have been um, two very significant and very influential cultural movements um, in the last year, five years, last, last season of time that, have, uh, that, that give us an insight into the way that, that our culture currently understands forgiveness. Those two movements, broadly speaking, are Black Lives Matter and Me Too. He's going to make some observations about both of those movements and the things that we see in them. And I want to say in the very beginning as we jump into this, this is not meant to be a wholesale condemnation of Black Lives Matter nor of Me Too. Both of these movements are seeking to address real problems, right? That real, nobody's, nobody's in the pro-racism train. Nobody's in the pro-sexual assault train at all. But he is, he's a very thoughtful critic. And he's going to take a look at these things and say, what are some of the underpinnings here? What are some of the, maybe perhaps the unintended consequences that have flown out of these, flowed out of these things? So I'll read you some excerpts. We'll try to see. And, and if, just if, there's a possibility that you find this perspective too liberal in its, in its, its accommodation of a certain worldview or too conservative in its critique of things going on in those worldviews, then can I just ask you on the, on the front end, what if you forgive me if I fall side of your sensibilities. Okay, one of the things that's been so stunning is to see how I can say the exact, I can say one thing and be accused of being too liberal and the exact same thing, I'm accused of being too conservative for the exact same thing. This has been happening in the last seven days, okay? So, so just can we bear with one another and forgive one another, believe the best about one another, be gracious to one another, if we can't do that, man, it's, it's going to be rough. We're going to have a hard time. All right? You ready? So here's, I'm going to read some excerpts here. Here's, what he, here's the second paragraph, if you're following. 
Keller observed, after relatives of nine African Americans killed in Charleston, South Carolina, publicly said to the shooter, Dylan Roof, I forgive you, a Washington Post piece, opinion piece by Stacey Patton responded with the headline, quote, Black America should stop forgiving white racists. Continues, the parade of forgiveness is disconcerting to say the least. The expectation and admiration for black people's forgiveness is about protecting whiteness and America as a whole. When black forgiveness is the means for white atonement, it enables white denial about the harms that racist violence creates. Okay? Forgiveness is bad. Forgiveness is a vice. Okay? Now, another, uh, uh, another, in the next paragraph, Barbara Reynolds, a septuagenarian who had marched in the civil rights protests of the 60s, right, another period of great unrest, wrote a counterpoint essay in the same newspaper. She said, the original movements led by Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela were marked by, quote, the ethics of love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And they triumphed because of the power of the spiritual approach. While admiring Black Lives Matter's courage, cause and courage, Reynolds concluded that love and forgiveness are missing from this movement. She argued that forgiveness disarms the oppressors and wins over many of their supporters, weakening the system. If you get angry, it is contagious, and you end up acting as bad as the perpetrators. But the original voice, Stacey Patton, is having none of it. Many black Christians have believed, quote, that displays of morality rooted in forgiveness would force white America to leave behind its racist assumptions. But Patton argued our constant forgiveness only perpetuates the cycle of attack and abuse. Forgiveness is bad in this perspective. That if you forgive people, all you're doing is perpetuating evil. Stop it. What we need to do is be more intolerant, more angry. We mustn't forgive. Okay? That's coming there. Now, same thing going on in the Me Too movement. As he quotes, he says, Three years after the emergence of this new racial justice movement, Harvey Weinstein's sexual abuse case set off another mass movement for justice, Me Too. And almost immediately, the issue of forgiveness came to the fore. Uh, Danielle Barron wrote an article titled, Should We Forgive the Men Who Assaulted Us? in the New York Times. And she concluded she was not ready to forgive her assailant, but held out the possibility that substantial repentance on his part, accompanied by restitution made publicly as well as privately, might move her to forgive. Okay? Now, let's, right, I think it's appropriate here to pause to say, to the degree that she is acknowledging that forgiveness is hard, Amen. Amen. Has anybody ever been deeply hurt by someone over something, racial injustice, sexual, pick a thing, right? So her, her saying, yes, maybe, but this is going to be hard and I'm going to need a little bit of help here. I, we, I think we can be deeply sympathetic with that. And if we're not, you may not have ever been hurt. It is hard to forgive someone who hurts you. But listen, I want you to continue. Listen to next next section. This is another comment made on that article. The notion that victims of crime, oppression, and sexual assault must forgive their oppressors piles more oppression and harshness on the victim. Insisting that she forgive plays into the sickness of patriarchal, misogynistic, male supremacist religions that blame women. Forgiveness is overrated. It heals neither the body or the mind. Let the criminal ask his gods if there be any for forgiveness. Instead of talking about victims must forgive, 
we should be talking about tattooing the words rapist or sexual predator on the foreheads of the criminals. This would actually help make women and children safer. Okay, this is somebody that's speaking out of deep pain. I have experienced pain, I, I get that. There are people that are hard to forgive. But to the extent that we as a culture embrace the idea that forgiveness is evil, the society will unravel. We, people such as us cannot survive in a world where we do not forgive one another's debts. It's simply, it will not work. And if we continue to go down this road, the results are gonna grow more and more catastrophic. And just as a way to kind of put, say something obvious to say it up front, the whole point of forgiveness is that it's undeserved. If you deserve my forgiveness, then I don't need to forgive you. The whole point is I make a choice that, that you have done something wrong. Keller's going to unpack this a little bit. But in, whenever we forgive somebody, we're saying that you did something wrong. You did it, Chad. And now I'm left holding the bag on it. Okay? And whenever that happens, when you do something wrong and I'm, hold, and I'm paying for it, I hate that. And I want to reflect it back to you. You blew it. You should suffer. Right? I have no anger with, with Chad. Okay? But if this were the circumstance, right? I don't want it. I want you to have it. But forgiveness is when I decide, you know what? You did the wrong. It's hurting me. And I accept the terms. That's the essence of forgiveness. If I'm willing to like own it, to own what you caused then there's the, that now I'm really forgiving you. But as long as I'm like making you do it, there is no forgiveness. So these comments that are like, yeah, these people are terrible. They did terrible things. Granted, granted, we're terrible. And we do terrible things. And the only way we're going to get out of this thing alive is if we learn how to forgive each other. Okay? Now, what Keller's going to do is he's going to make two observations, uh, two um, sociological observations. What's going on in the broader culture? What's going on inside our hearts? that has put us in this situation. So we're going to hear Keller's sense of this in a second. And if you want to cheat, you can read ahead. But I want to just give you guys a chance to kind of like enter into this. What's happening? Why is forgiveness so... It's always been difficult, but why are we moving to beginning to see it as, um, as an evil, not a good? And the answer, let me say this, and then I'll, and then I'll start give you guys a chance. The answer is not because of BLM and Me Too. Okay, BLM and Me Too are not, he's not, Keller's not saying these things are causing it. He's saying that BLM and Me Too are a window in which we see it happening, right? We watch it happening there, but the reasons it's happening, we haven't stated yet. Okay, we're going to get to that. So, Kelly. Um, I agree that forgiveness is absorbing the cost, you know, being willing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. Yeah. But I think that when you by God's grace, are able to forgive somebody, you still want to see that person repent. Oh, for sure. And so I have to do what's up to me and my part in the forgiveness, but I want to see change. If you've been the offender, I want to see you change. And so for all the critiques or critics out there who are vilifying forgiveness, I understand why they might come from that direction if they feel like, well, that's just lip service. Yes. You're offering this forgiveness, but there's no change in the behavior of offenders. And you're by giving them this lip service, you're not exacting change from them. You're not, you're not. Like somehow there's a confusion that the person who's doing the forgiveness is responsible for changing the behavior and exacting the, the That's right. out of that person. And there are, that's not in your control. Yes. So I can understand how... Looking at it from that perspective, there's been no change. It's just lip service. You're just going to give them a free pass to do it again. That's right. So just to, in case you didn't catch, could you guys hear that in the back? 
No? Okay, so basically Kelly's saying, so it's far, far easier to forgive someone who's apologetic, right? Someone, if someone repents, then it's like, it gets a whole lot easier. But if you're not repentant, if you're not apologetic, if you're not changed, forget, I mean, that just raises the ramp on this. It makes it a whole lot harder. Sometimes we might forgive someone prior to their repentance, and that softens them into repentance, and that can be very satisfying and, and can give us peace. But if I forgive you and then you just persist in your thing, that's, just, that's brutally difficult. And as long as we believe that their change of behavior is up to me or that my forgiveness is predicated on their change of behavior, then this is going to be a very, very difficult path to run. And the biblical framework is that my forgiveness is not a response to your repentance. The forgiveness goes first, and it may or may not lead to a future repentance. And that equation is, can be very, very difficult for us. Did I capture you, Rail? Well, yeah, and that, I think, explains a lot of the, the sense of vilifying the forgiveness because it, it's lip service that makes no difference. Yeah. There's no consequences <coughs> for this person. That's right. And they're just going to keep doing it, and you're, you're bad for enabling. Yes, if, I, if what I'm doing is actually perpetuating evil, then that's what makes forgiveness evil. That's, I think that is part of the mindset here. There's a couple of hands over here. Yeah, Lisa? I was just thinking, in terms of, I totally agree that forgiveness is necessary, and forgiveness is a virtue, and forgiveness is something we all ought to be doing regardless of the horrific circumstances, and I'm not minimizing that, that, is, that they are horrific. Um, I think that there's kind of a, the way some people see it is that the, um, there's a, a power differential there, and that forgiveness cannot be demanded by the perpetrator or the powerful. That's true. Forgiveness has to be the free will of the victim and those lacking power. That is absolutely true. I think what many people react to is like the, the sex scandals and like the Bill Gotham stuff and all of that, where the people in power use forgiveness as a tool to oppress, use demand forgiveness as a, as a tool to oppress, then it's not forgiveness anymore. And I think we just need to distinguish between that. That's a great insight. Okay, did you capture all that? Right. So forgiveness can't be demanded by the sinner. It's a gift that is given. Now... Here, but here, there is an asterisk to that is that God can demand that we forgive, right? Um, and, and, and in fact does. But you don't get to be the broker of that and say, well, I, I wronged you, but you must forgive me. That's, that's way, way, way out of bounds. I sin a lot of times. Yes. Yes, because we could take anything and use it for an evil end, right? We can manipulate anything. And so there, I think that's, that's a really good point. And if, to the extent that people hear that, that your oppressor has the right to demand your forgiveness... That's not, that's not actually true. It's actually worth considering that God forgives. Think about this. God forgives because of his goodness. It is simply because he is merciful that he forgives. We forgive because of our badness. You know this? It is because we have been forgiven, which includes the claim that we needed to be forgiven, that we forgive others. We love because he loves us. We forgive because he forgave us. It is my, it is, that's why Jesus tells the story of the debtors, right? This guy, it's got this, he has this massive debt that he's, that he's been forgiven. And then he turns around and he refuses to forgive someone else. And Jesus is like, what's that about, right? I have an obligation to forgive. I am, a, I am indebted to others. But it's not because of them. It's because of the forgiveness that I've been shown. God forgives because he's good. We forgive because he's bad. Yeah, go ahead. Um, with forgiveness, sometimes you can't actually talk to that person if you can't, you can write a letter, or, you know. Sure, yeah. So sometimes that, that fa a face-to-face -face expression of forgiveness 
could be, well, it could be a number of things, right? It could be too emotionally overbearing. It could be unsafe. It could be on a number of things. And you've got, we have multiple ways that we might communicate, you know, different venues we could choose to do that, for sure. It could be dead. Or they could be dead. This is true. Um, and, and so you might still need to forgive, even if there's no opportunity to express it. That's, that's totally true. Terry? Well, not forgiving and, and holding that is kind of like, drinking poison and hoping it's killing the other person. Yeah, and that's a great, I mean, and people, that observation has been made, as, as hard as it is to forgive someone, and it can be exceptionally difficult, it's actually harder not to, right? Because the longer that you, you churn on the bitterness of the things that you have suffered, like, as if you're hurting them, like, it'd be lovely if it worked, but it doesn't, right? And it tends to kind of chew us up ourselves. That's a good observation, yeah. Uh, well, I heard that the resentments, which is unforgiving, you know, you turn about it. Resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's right, yes. Which is, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, that's exactly what we see. Okay, yes, please. Um, interesting enough, I, there was a group of people that I was with not too long ago discussing exactly this. And one of the things that we were kind of struggling with a little bit is, um, well, two things. One thing is, you know, God has commanded us to forgive and what most of us demands. They're for our good, <laughs> our best good. Yep. So even though it's hard to do, but, but the thing we kind of were tossing around is, can we be forgiven if we are not repentant? Yeah, so, uh, so I don't think I'm going to take the bait on that because it's going to take us in a different place. But, but Jesus does absolutely draw like a very clear line between his forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're forgiven. Yeah. And there's presumptive forgiveness. Sometimes. Yeah. We do. But at the same time, you know, it, I mean, you can forgive them because it is healing to you. Yep. But at the same time, I don't think, I think we are required to repent. We, what, to repent and to forgive. Yeah, right, but I think if we're, if we're seeking forgiveness, we're... Yes. Yes. I'm not saying that that can translate because... Yes. Oh, that's right. For sure. But at the same time, it kind of messes that up a bit. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, I'm gonna, I want to get to this. Okay, I'll give two more guys, and then we're going to get into the article. So, Brad and then Jesse, and then we're going to keep going. Brad? I worked this out, but I'm struggling with... Um, I, I don't think forgiveness means that you necessarily wipe away consequences and need for restitution and some sort of judgment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. It does. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out the, what's the proper balance there. Yeah. So, and I will say before you, when you read the article, I think this is brilliant. I recommend it to you strongly. There is a passage here that I actually disagree with Tim Keller though. Um, he essentially will treat forgiveness, how do I do this? That forgiveness He's going to make, make the case that restitution, not restitution, reconciliation is a component of forgiveness. And I don't agree with that. I think that forgiveness is a component of reconciliation, which is to say you could forgive someone and nevertheless choose not to continue a relationship. Not only can you do that, but sometimes I think that's the wisest course of action. His article is essentially going to invert that and say that um, if you forgive but don't make reconciliation, have you really forgiven? And my answer is yes, you have, and that might have been the wise thing to do. So it's a little bit surprising to see that in his article. So when you read that, if you're like, oh, it sets off alarms, like, relax, okay? 
everything in life like needs to be filtered. You know, even Tim Keller, maybe even me. So, so, but not not very often. So, so, so I do think that there, there are there's more going on here than just that. I can make a decision to forgive you, but you might still need to go to jail. You know, or I might still decide that this is not a safe relationship in which I wish to persist. And I think there's, and that's not just a, like Paul says. Warn a divisive person once, after that warn him a second time, after that have nothing to do with him, you may be sure that he's self-condemned and sinful. And so there, we, there is the opportunity to step back from relationships. Even when Paul says in Romans 12, he says, um, basically don't, you know, don't seek revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. The concept of leaving room implies, I'm going to take a step back and we'll let the Lord kind of deal with this. And so you're, there are, forgiveness is not, for, I would just say forgiveness and reconciliation are not coterminous. And in fact, if anything, Forgiveness is a component of reconciliation, not the other way around. So, okay, and Jesse, and then back to the article. I was going to say two things. Um, I think the, one of the reasons people are resistant to forgive is because there's a false equivalency. They're equating forgiveness with giving them a pass, with okaying it, with tolerating it. And they think, if I forgive this, I'm saying that... I'm approving of it, yeah. And they're worried that justice won't actually be meted out, and that's difficult. Thing I was going to say is um, the there's a difference, and there's I guess there's three or four things: forgiveness and uh, uh, being sorry are both required for reconciliation, and those don't necessarily depend on each other. Yeah, forgiving isn't contingent, obviously, on someone being sorry, and reconciliation may never happen. That's right. I completely agree. And this and this concept, the first your first point there, Jesse, that. People, if people think that forgiveness means what you did was okay, no, the whole point of forgiveness is that it's not okay. That's the whole point. And by the way, watch your language when you do this because sometimes people might come to you and apologize to you and say, hey, I'm sorry I did this. And you have a, we have a cultural habit of saying, that's okay. Well, no, it's not okay. Like, it was actually wrong and it hurt. However, I forgive you, right? It's okay and I forgive you are not the same thing, although we use them interchangeably. And very often, sloppy language leads to sloppy thought. Right? So watch that. Don't say it's okay. Say, yeah, that was, that, that was lame. However, I forgive you and we can move forward. All right? Now, here's what Keller's going to say, the two things. If you're, if, you're, if you're in this scrolling through the article, skip down to the first big heading that says our therapeutic culture. You find that? Our therapeutic culture. Here's what he's going to say. He's explaining, okay, what, how'd we get here? We're seeing it lived out in these particular particularly influential movements, but they're not creating it. What did create it? What's going on under the surface that has produced this reality that we now view forgiveness with such skepticism and disdain? The first factor, he says, is the therapeutic culture. And he quotes a couple guys who have both shown our culture has taken a strongly inward turn. While all other cultures have stressed the importance of community and the need to forge a personal identity that negotiates and aligns with the common good, modernity stresses looking inward to forge one's own identity based on our desires, and then moving outward to demand that society honor our individual identity and interests. Okay, now, when I read that paragraph, I'm like, I don't know where you're going with this. So, but first let's understand what he's saying. It, we used to have as a societal norm that society matters. Like everything's communal, right? That there, there's some sense that what's the common good is greater than the, the good for me. And those days are kind of long since gone, right? The best thing is this thing, right? And everything circles back to what's good for me rather than what's good for the community. 
Okay, that's just the principle. Now, if you think about that, you might realize where he's going. And why, why is it that a culture that cares about the individual chiefly and does not care about the community, why does forgiveness fall out of favor in such a community? Okay, listen to what he says. Um, blah, 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 blah. Let's go to, skip a paragraph. Go to the third, third paragraph under that heading. It begins with Gregory Jones. Gregory Jones sees this therapeutic term, turn as perhaps the greatest reason that we have such impoverished contemporary understandings and practices of forgiveness in modern Western culture. If all that matters is individual autonomy, well then forgiveness and reconciliation, which are designed to foster and maintain community, are of little importance. Today, Jones argues, forgiveness is either discouraged as an imposing moral burden on the person, or at best, it is offered as a way of helping yourself to acquire more peaceful inner feelings of healing ourselves of hate. In contrast, the Bible orients us toward Christian life embodied in eschatological community. Get it? The value of forgiveness is that it helps communities stay, it helps them not disband. It creates a coherence where we might otherwise dissolve. But if we don't care that the community dissolves, because who needs that in the first place? All I need is to look out for number one. Well, then, forgiveness, forgiveness. Who really cares? Because its purpose to create cohesion is of no consequence. Does this make sense? Now, of course, what's foolish about that? Let's say that we are, we are the most individualistic society that we've ever had, and therefore, we don't care about community, and if things are going to destroy the community, what's that to me? What's the folly of that? Individuals need community, right? And if all you focus on is you, you are going to get nothing. And it's not that you value individual over community. You're just blind to how the community benefits the individual. And if you let this thing go, if, we, if, if I win every fight for me, and if we alienate all other persons, you are going to be an exceptionally sad person. Your life is going to unravel. We need to value the things that value community, sometimes even at the cost of what we perceive to be our own self-benefit. Right? Robin, were you going to say something? I think actually being part of our culture is, is not a Christian culture at all. And we don't see individually as ourselves in need. Yeah, so if we don't, if I don't, well, if I don't believe that I need to be forgiven, then I, that, that is going to impoverish my ability to recognize um, my obligation to you when you need to be forgiven, right? It's like, in the, this is what you're saying, what Jesus says, if you don't understand that you've been forgiven a great debt, then you're going to be tight-fisted towards others. And if I, so if I'm like, I'm good here, then I just don't have the resource to recognize the needs of others. Yes, absolutely, totally true. Yeah, Catherine? Um, I want to tack on to that um that um, if you if you don't think you need forgiveness, and you're you're never going to ask for it, so you're going to have to avoid a lot of people, or like you said, you're just going to implode because you get more and more isolated. Yeah. Because you know, because you're going to offend people. I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just mention two scriptures? The one that helped me was that, you know, if your brother offends you, go to your brother and be reconciled. Yep. And then the other one to go with it is, 
Whatever is within your power, be at peace with everyone. Yeah, Romans 12, right? So I had to go to somebody, and it was scary. It was, I was, it was terrifying. But I, and I actually asked an elder of the church to go with me. And I had to just tell her, in love, speak the truth in love. I told her, well, why I was offended. But, and, and I said, but I forgive you and all that. And she completely denied anything. But I walked away from there peacefully. Because I had done, I didn't want to do it, but I did. Right. And so um, it's a process. It it is right, and and there's and that that the brilliance of that Romans twelve is as far as it depends on you, right? And as much as it's possible, it's very it's a very conditioned statement. We live at peace. But that's up to God then. And by golly, ten years later, she wrote me this thick letter about how much she really appreciated me and our what our friendship has. But it took a long time. Yeah. I just let. And I believe, I don't know, I believe in my heart that we can't, we humans can't forgive without God's help. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, 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 I mean, I might be able to forgive you if you like step on my toe without God's help, but, but there's a lot more going on here that sometimes life is really, really hard. Okay, we got I'm watching the clock, you guys, let me, bear with me here. We're going to do one more thing here. Under this point of the individual over the community and how we've changed things, listen to this. Um, he cites this time where the, an Amish, a one-room Amish schoolhouse got got shot up in 2006. Do you guys remember this? Um, and the, the stunning thing was that the, the Amish community uniformly expressed forgiveness. Do you remember this? It was like newsworthy. Like, what are they doing? Okay. Listen to this. Um, a group of scholars wrote about that incident. And one of their main conclusions was that our secular culture is not likely to produce people who can handle suffering the way that the Amish did. And they gave two reasons. Why, this, one, one advantage that the Amish community had and one disadvantage that we have that makes that event unlikely to be reproduced. Check it out. Number one, at the heart of the Amish faith was a man dying for his enemies. Through communal practices, this self-sacrificing figure was seen, sung, believed, rehearsed, and celebrated constantly. For Jesus to give his life and to forgive his tormentors was an act of enormous love and spiritual strength. And so, within their worldview orientation... The Amish saw forgiveness as the greatest gift and virtue. In American culture, which church attendance is declining, this view of Christ is slipping more and more out of daily view. For Christians, if we, if we ever were, if Christians were to embrace that, that forgiveness is a vice, what does that mean about Jesus? Do you understand this? Like, his, I mean, his exceptional forgiveness. We look at this and we, we, we revere him chiefly for this. Right? We praise him for his grace, his mercy. And we, we, are there, we have a resource in that that other people may lack. Right? And here's the second thing that was going on. Listen to this. Point number two, they argued that forgiveness is a form of self-renunciation. That it's the giving up of your right to pay back the person what they did to you. Okay? This is what I was just telling you is the definition of forgiveness earlier. Right? Uh, he says, this directly opposes how Americans are now taught to think and live. We saw in the language um, of something else that he had quoted earlier that your happiness, your interests, your needs always come first. And a culture that promotes self-maximization, one that pits self-fulfillment against self-sacrifice, will usually produce revenge or withdrawal as a response to any mistreatment, while a countercultural teaching of self-renunciation will more likely produce forgiveness as a response. 
So if our culture is telling you when you are hurt, you need to get revenge or get out, there's no space for forgiveness. And those are things that our culture triumphs. Whereas this lunatic who goes to a cross to die for his enemies, we're like, what is that about? Like, these are, these are very, very different worldviews. What is the chief good? Is it the extension of grace and mercy or is it the exacting of revenge? These are massively different things and our culture is decidedly moving away from one and toward the other. Herrick. Yeah, <clears throat> when you were talking about the Amish and what they didn't have that helps them do, I think it's like, like the Avengers movies. Like that's the big thing. Like everybody loves Avengers. What's the what's avenge? You know what's it stand for? They always right. Sure. Moses' time, you know, Moses had laws that were like, if somebody does this to you, you got to do this back to them. That's right. In Matthew five thirty eight through forty eight, that's when Jesus says, "You've heard that it was said this." That's right. Love your enemies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And that that framework, right, of a graceless living, as an as, a, as an underpinning cultural reality. We're not, it's, it's not over, but it, this, is, this is where the church has the great opportunity to do something radically different. That when the Amish forgive people for their horrible misuse, and they, and it, it's like, it's literally newsworthy because it's so bizarre, right? That, this is the opportunity that we have to do right now. Yeah. Uh, the last thing that Jesus said on the cross was, forgive them, Lord, they know what they know, they know what they do. They know not what they do. That's it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. We're, we're so short on time. I'm going to read you this. And you'll read it in the article. We'll talk about more about this next week. Here's the second thing. We've got this whole culture of individual over the group, right? And the implications of that are great. Second thing, the second influence, this is under the heading religion without grace, if you're skipping down. The second influence impoverishing the modern practice of forgiveness is a rising shame and honor culture that some have called the new religion. Listen to this. The therapeutic culture also taught us to think of ourselves as individuals needing protection from society and from various groups with power who oppress us. So ironically, we have developed a shame and honor culture of victimhood. Listen to this. Tell me if this doesn't ring true. Greater honor and moral virtue are assigned to people the more they have been victimized and oppressed by society or others in power. So the further down the existing social ladder one is, the greater the possibilities for honor. In this new culture, companies, institutions, and governing agencies are now tasked not with treating individuals equally, but with the moral obligation to defend victims, those who've been oppressed by the powerful. This provides a second ring of honor in the emerging culture. So the highest honor comes to the victims. The more that you have suffered, the more honor that you are granted. That creates desirability to be more victimized. But now the second ring is that there is, uh, comes to the defenders of victims. There is no better way for a business, school, or government to gain honor, and frankly to divert attention from their own wealth and power, than to mercilessly punish anyone seen as a victimizer. We're, this is in the headlines every day. Are we watching this live out? This is exactly where we are. These things come together in such a way, he, he's going to continue this. He says, he's quoting these two researchers, Campbell and Manning. Um, it says it ends up valuing fragility over strength and creating a society of constant good versus evil, conflict over the smallest issues as people compete for status as victims or defenders of victims. It atrophies our ability to lovingly 
overlook slights. First Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. But most of all, it sweeps away the very concept of forgiveness and reconciliation because forgiveness is seen now as radically unjust, impractical, impractical, and short-circuiting the abilities of victims to gain honor and virtue as others rise to defend them. These are powerful forces. And taken together, he's saying these are the, this is the, the big two things. Like These two things going on are producing a graceless world which will eat us if we allow it to. Now, here, uh, okay, so one thing to consider. This, we're not going to fix the world on this, okay? So strap in for this. You're not going to like this. We're not going to fix the world in this, but what we can do is we can be different than that. We can be a gracious people. And right now, in the last, you know, three or four months, we've been talking about, like, the world is changing. And the cost of being a Christian is, is going to go higher. And everybody wants to, like, fight it. Drive the prices back down. I don't, want to, I don't want to cost the Christianity. And if those monsters come after us, we're going to fight, fight, fight. Or, or we're not. Or we're going to be gracious. We are going to be forgiving. We're going to be patient in the, in the face of evil. We're going to look at Jesus who suffered horrible, unjust things. And he suffered it patiently and kindly and graciously and forgave his oppressors even as he hung on a cross. Okay, that's the way out of this, you guys. And it may take a long time, longer than 10 years, Catherine. It might take a long time that we become a community that is famous for nut job, ridiculous grace, endless kindness to people that are unjust towards us rather than people that are like, oh yeah, you want to know how this goes? And we flex on them. This is what it's being advocated for. The world will be the world, but what if the church is the church and we are a community of endless grace and forgiveness. Okay, you get the final word. Well, I, I'm just thinking about, you know, Hitler and Syria and things like that. I mean, you know, how do you forgive those people? I mean, we're talking about small people. Yeah. Here. So, okay, so in very, very short order, um, uh, there's two kingdoms. Right? So God has ordained the state and God has ordained the church. And if the church is a community of grace and love and forgiveness, it doesn't mean that the state is not bearing a sword. He grants the state the authority to, to be um, executors of justice. That is the state's job. And so I'm glad that there's a military that fights the people that are doing evil. That's their job. It's not my job, but it's the state's job. It is the military's job. It is the police department's job to do those things. Right? What I'm going to do on my side of the fence, what I hope to do by the grace of God, is to live like Corey Ten Boom did. So Corey Ten Boom was in the midst of evil, right? I mean, absolute evil. She and her sister Betsy were, were interred in a, in a German concentration camp, and she forgave her oppressors. So yes, even the big stuff, even the evil stuff, we as a church, we as individual believers are to be gracious and forgiving. I'm still glad that the Allies broke through and, and defeated Hitler. And there's nothing, there's nothing bad about that. The military's job is to go punish wicked men. This is very Romans 13. But I am a Christian, and I'm called to live in Romans 12, to be gracious to my enemies, to show, to show grace and love. But we've got to stop talking. So read the article, and we'll pick it up next week, okay? All right.